Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Candidates are so vulnerable at the beginning and end of the interview. And the beginning is when they're getting all this new context and they're on into the swing of it. And that's the time to make sure you're removing noise because if the candidate is answering the wrong question, it really just is a waste of a very limited amount of time. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This episode features a conversation with Lucin Mendel, Director of Developer Relations at Carrot, and Rowett Grover, Senior Interview Engineer and Mentor at Carrot, who share tips and strategies for leading an effective technical interview. This feature is special because you'll hear Luz and Rowett review three live examples deconstructing what works, what doesn't, and how to give clarity and guidance throughout the technical interview. A quick disclaimer, since the session was held live at our hiring mini summit, you'll hear them call out a few comments shared by the audience, so don't be alarmed by that. They cover your three main responsibilities during the technical interview, how to set candidates at ease, what you can do to get the best from candidates, sources of noise that cause bad signal in your hiring assessment, how to create consistency in your technical interview, and so much more. Enjoy our conversation with Lucin Mendel and Rowett Grover. Lucin, Rowett, welcome. Thank you both so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here. Lovely to be here. And Rowett, you might want to give a little more context about what you do with Carrot and you know, as, an, as a senior engineer at, other company, at another company. <laughs> Well, I interview candidates and I love this participation that I get from them. And I'm simply a facilitator and I let them be and show themselves in the best light. And yeah, I just enable that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And and you're also a software engineer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So hi, everyone. Here's what we'd like to do. I'm also a software engineer, but now I do a lot of talks and workshops on interviewing best practices. I haven't written code in many, many years. Well, that's not quite true. We're always sort of writing code in the background, aren't we? But here's what we'd like to do, Rohit and I. We're going to demonstrate some interview interactions. And what we'd like all of you to do is to put on your observation hats and let us know what we're doing wrong. I'm going to do the first, I'll, I'll be the interviewer for our first little role play because we don't have time to untrain all of Rohit's niceness. So we'll start with an easy one. So let's do that. So Rohit will be the, ca the candidate. I'll role play the interviewer and action. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, we'll start with an easy problem. What I'd like you to do is to just write some code that takes a list of numbers as input and returns it without duplicates. Okay. Hmm. Can I talk through my thoughts? Yeah, sure. Okay, what I'd like to do is to go through all the elements, maybe a loop, a for loop, nested loop. Hmm. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Nested for loop, what's the time complexity for that? I'm sorry, I'm a bit rusty about time complexities. 
thought you had a computer science degree. <sighs> you know what? It's okay. Just just go do do what you were you were planning to do. Is there a better way to do it? No, it's it's fine. Go ahead with uh, with what you were planning. Okay. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, freeze frame, and Rohit's gonna implement a solution with nested for loops. We're not gonna actually code that up right now, and we're gonna pick back up as Rohit finishes typing the last character for his code to work. Okay, okay, it looks like it's working. That looks like it's returning a list of the duplicates, and that's not what I asked for. Oh, maybe I misunderstood. Yeah, I, I wanted a function that took a list and removed the duplicates and returned. You know, all the unique elements you're returning the duplicates. Okay, can I modify this? You know, I'm sorry, we're, we're actually out of time. And cut. How did I do as the interviewer? What did I what did I do wrong? And you know, I'm hamming it up for the applause. But it is very easy for interviewers who are nervous or inexperienced or maybe distracted by other things that are going on. You know, they're just coming to this meeting and their head's not in the game. You know, it's easy for us to unintentionally do things without realizing sometimes if, if you know if we're not really calling out what we should be doing. So what what should I have done instead? Or what did I do wrong? Rohit, what was this experience like for you as the candidate? Well, I felt I felt challenged in a way that was too personal. And I felt that I had to do something which I couldn't. And instead of focusing on what I could do, I was being, I, I felt like I, you wanted something that I couldn't give you. And so I was discouraged from doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And also it's how it's, it's, particularly dismissive and, and, and probably alarming to the candidate when you say, well, you know, you're trying to engage with how to do something better. And I'm just like cutting it off. Like, nah, just do whatever you said before. I mean, what a missed opportunity as an interviewer to be like, well, maybe if I explain this a little bit, what complexity is, and then see the candidate apply that or have some good insights, like that's actually a nice opportunity that I could have taken advantage of. And instead now he just feels like he's failing and it's, that was, yeah. Let's see. Distracted at the start. Yes. Pretty dismissive up front. Thought you had a CS degree. Yep. <laughs> Ouch. Let's see. That felt like a microaggression. Guide them up front and help them to make the most of the time. Yeah. I mean, this is the worst part of the interview is that we spend all this time. And then at the end, Roit gives the right answer to the wrong question, which wastes both of our time. Like I have one job as the interviewer. My one job at the end of this very limited time is to have a yes, no decision. Do I think Rohit should move forward or the candidate should move forward? And like, I didn't even accomplish my own goal. So time management is really, really important. Rohit, do you want to say more about this? Because I know, I know there's some things at Carrot that y'all do to really manage the time well. Yeah. So at Carrot, well, when I interview, I, I try to make the problem statement as clear as possible, as early as possible. So I let the candidate show what they can. And it's, it's more important as to what they can achieve. And in many engineering scenarios, it's okay to get an acceptable solution and then improve upon it iteratively. So that's completely fine. One doesn't have to point out that something better can be done right at the beginning. So yeah, let the other person be and, and uh, show what they are able to do. Yeah. And in particular, so one of the things we talk about at Carrot is that every everything you say and do as, as an interviewer, maybe this is a simplification, but I like to say it falls into three categories. You're either clarifying the question or what the candidate is supposed to do. Like as interviewers, we're guides, you know, we're hosting this whole conversation. So we're either clarifying it or we're providing encouragement, like being a, a nice host, or we're giving guidance. 
or some kind of hint that's you know specific to skill assessments usually right and i like to break up you know it's important to pay attention to each of those three different things like encouragement is free in a sense that's that's just like being it's just helping someone feel at ease versus guidance might be when we get into that situation where okay the signal has has dropped the candidate gets stuck and there's lots of different things we can do you don't have to give guidance you can ask a different question you can remove a constraint you know there's different things but if you are you know are going to start giving help sometimes that impacts the assessment right so separating out saying something not, you know just because you're not giving guidance doesn't mean you have to be silent but that clarification step that first one of being clear to the candidate i think that's mo the most crucial upfront the candidates are so vulnerable at the beginning and end of the interview and the beginning is when they're getting all this new context and they're on into the swing of it and that's the time to make sure you're removing noise because if the candidate is answering the wrong question, it really just is a waste of a very limited amount of time. Okay, should we try? Is there more we wanna say about this? Let's see. Yes, Cynthia, I like that you said that when the candidate doesn't feel at ease, it's hard to assess them properly. Rowan, is there anything you do in particular to set candidates at ease when you can tell they're having a hard time? I acknowledge what they have achieved already, and it's more important that they feel comfortable about themselves, about their person. So yeah, I just turn towards them and acknowledge what they have offered, and yeah, things things just fall into place. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, let's let's try this again. Why don't you be the interviewer now that we've gone over some of these good tips? I'll be the candidate and action. Hi, how how are you doing? It's really lovely to meet you. Uh, it's nice to meet you too. So, so today we're going to do a programming task, and what I'd like you to do is to write a function, and we'd like this function to take a list of values. So let's say we've got a list, let's say two, three, two, in that sequence, and this function needs to take this input and remove all the duplicates. So in this case, with this particular input, the function would return two and three, because those are the unique elements after removing all the duplicates. Is that clear? Yeah, that makes sense. And so what I'd like you to do is to take some time to think of an approach. And then once you have an idea, please discuss it with me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I'd like to think about this for a little bit. Is that okay? Sure, sure. All right. So I think what I'll do is I'll loop through the input and I'll create a hash map. So as I loop through mm -hmm. the input, I'll put the values as keys in the hash map. And then as mm -hmm. the values, I'll, I'll count how many times I've, I've seen that key, that input before. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not really sure how that I, what how I can use that though to then return a new list. Mm -hmm. I think I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. So remember that you need to start with a list and return another list which has the same elements but only the unique elements, which means the duplicates need to be removed. Yeah, no, I, I got that. Yeah, I'm just not certain how I can, it's been a while since I've used hash maps. I'm just not certain how I can use this, you know, to do the next step. I just can't figure out what that next step would be in this approach. I see. Well, I can't really tell you that. We've got so many candidates and I don't want to put you at an advantage by telling you what the next step would be. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, that makes sense. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sure what to do next. All right. Hmm. So you've talked about building this hash map and you'll have counts associated with each value. So what we want you to do is to return a list that's similar to the original, but with the duplicates removed. Yeah, I got that. Okay, I'm going to cut before I get too exasperated. You know, so this is an interesting situation, right? Like Rohit was being very nice. It was a very friendly interaction. Sometimes candidates get stuck. 
what could Rohit or what could an interviewer do in this situation? Let me just say on this, one thing that was really nice was that Rohit gave an example of the question. That's this that part of being clear and really trying to reduce that noise of misunderstanding. And sometimes if it is, you know, these are toy questions a little bit, if it is a more complicated situation, actually having the interviewer making sure to ask the candidate, okay, here's some input. Like, so the, the interviewer explains one example case, this input, this output, and then ask the candidate, hey, you you tell me, why does this input get to the second output? J just to to verify, because sometimes candidates, you know, they're they're nervous, they're just saying yes, they're you're just trying to engage them. And that that verifies for both of you that you're on the same page. And I know when I do workshops with, with hiring managers and interviewers, and I always ask, you know, what are you looking for in your candidates? What are some of the, the competencies and skills? You know, how do you assess them? And pretty much always, there's at least one person, sometimes everyone who's saying, well, I want my candidates to be able to handle ambiguity, or I want them to ask me questions or explain their thoughts unprompted, or, you know, ask questions unprompted or, you know, write tests, you know, there's sort of almost like looking for the things that the candidates do themselves as if, if they tell a candidate to do something that's cheating. And I want to draw a very important distinction here, which is that the absence of behavior does not let you assess that. So if you want to assess someone's test writing and they don't write tests, it doesn't mean they can't write tests. It just means in this interaction, they didn't think that was the right thing to do. And, and candidates get all sorts of weird advice. You know, there's there's interviews that are about getting to the right answer as quickly as possible. There's interviews where it's about the conversation or the code design. And so ideally, you're telling your candidates up front really what the objectives are because you don't want your candidate to make a decision that biases, you know, that creates noise. Because candidates, you, you want to be the one making the decision, right? You want to control that. So don't let your candidates, don't put your candidates in positions where they are unintentionally making noisy decisions. So telling objectives is, is, is one thing. But even, even I'm just going to give this tip right out here, to specifically ask candidates what you want them to do. If they've written some code, if testing is on your rubric or part of how you're going to evaluate that yes, no decision, tell the candidate, okay, now I'd like you to come up with a test suite, just tell me, you know, what are, what are some of the things you would, you would test to build confidence in this code or that you would put into a refactoring or whatever. Then you can get the signal of how well they do. How well do they write tests? If you want to evaluate ambiguity, how well someone like handles ambiguity, tell the candidate, you know, something up front, a little bit like this is, I'm going to give you a vague question and we're going to, you're going to need to ask questions and we're going to need to have a conversation to figure out exactly what you're doing and then see how they handle that. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Right. Is that, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's important to identify what they are being asked. And as you said, that, that's the signal. So I, I clarify as many times as needed what is being asked. And in a way that's friendly, that appears to be confirming. And uh, it's like an affirmation. Yes, this is what we need to do. Yes, I understand. Yes, this is what we need to do. And then they can demonstrate what they're they're able to perform in that situation, and yeah, just just being that presence of support, 
protection and just presence with the right amount of information at the right time. That is what helps me get more out of my candidates. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I would say, two big pillars of introducing noise in a, in a negative way or, or, you know, not seeing the signal. And so one of them is basically candidates answering the wrong question or getting off track. And, and so thinking really, thinking a lot about that, that how you ask questions and, and how you clarify is really important. There's another thing that happened in this interview, which is that the candidate got stuck and we wasted time. <laughs> like I was just, you know, you know, sort of a, a, a toy situation, but you know, it happens, right? That candidates, they don't know something or they get stuck. And like I said earlier, there's different ways you can handle that. Sometimes it's like, hmm, they're, you know, this candidate is having trouble with this data structure. Let's move, let's try a different Let's just try a different problem. And, and part of this is like, I used to do a lot of engineering interviews. You know, I could, I could ace five interviews in a row uh, for, you know, for coding interviews and then like bomb on the sixth one. And is, is my ability as an engineer the average of all of those? Or is it, you know, it, it's usually not, right? Like the competencies don't really often work that way. So you're trying to, typically you're trying to find the candidate's best performance, especially for a, a skill assessment. Right? Skill assessments are a reaction to, the more conversational interviews where you could like confidently explain someone else's, you know, architecture, or, you know, or, you know, you're sort of explaining some other work or future work and you can confident your way into a false positive, a positive decision to move forward from the interviewer that maybe where you're not actually a good fit skill assessments. You can't usually confident your way into like knowing an algorithm. You don't know confidence still helps always, but, <laughs> but you can have this, like the false negatives become the danger, right? Of bad performance and getting nervous or, or even just simply like bad time management. So with the hints, you know, so in this case, in this demo, there are things like, Roy, what would you have done if this was a real interview? This was a real question. I was getting stuck. What are the guideposts for knowing, you know, like how to go about giving hints for some, for like an organization that doesn't have anything written down to interviewers and interviewers are just like each doing their own thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so in this case, your solution did have some merit. And, and if I could see a way to help you complete your solution, I would have nudged you gently towards it without actually giving you the answer. And otherwise, I would reiterate the part of the question that really mattered, which may have been the point where you strayed away, and, and, and bring the focus back onto that point where at least we had some alignment between the approach and the problem. So either uh, reinforce the point of departure or uh, encourage the part in the candidate's solution that could still lead to a full answer. So uh, yeah. at the same time, I don't want to hurt their dignity by giving them the answer because well, maybe, maybe yeah, that, that's, that, that's not fair to them or to the signal. But yeah, just coming back to the, the most useful point that we had achieved without actually calling it a hint, just, just reinforcing that. The devil's always in the details here. You know, like, how do you know when someone is stuck? There's different ways to do harm. You can do harm through inaction or overaction, right? I, like a lot of these, I'm always wearing my engineering hat. And it's like always about balance and trade-offs, right? And you're always trying to find the sweet spot with, with all of these points, encouragement, clarity, <laughs> giving guidance. You're always trying to figure, like kind of read the room with the candidate. So maybe we'll do one more demo. And then that, I think that's an interesting question to answer of, you know, some of the more tricky cases. And I have one, I make, I have one tip I want to make sure I get in before this is over. Okay, let's do this third one. How about, I will be the interviewer. Rohit, you'll be the candidate. Okay, action. All right, Rohit, you've been doing great so far. For this last bit, what we're going to do is a coding exercise. What I'd like you to do is to write a function that takes in a list 
uh, of numbers and returns that same list, but with all the duplicates removed from the original list. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Hmm. Quick question. Does order matter in the return list? Oh, order. Yeah, you know, you could sort it. Like, either way is fine. Ah, ah, okay. That sounds good. I'll start by sorting it. Then, hmm, why don't I loop through every value in the sorted array? And then for every element, I'll compare it to its adjacent value. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll... so you'll be doing like that sort of thing. Uh, and then when you get to the end, you know, that's going to be like, you'll probably have a little edge case there, right? <laughs> Go off the plus one boundary. Oh, oh yes, yes, yeah. I'll definitely handle that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut. An overly friendly interviewer. I mean, this was just to sort of highlight the difficulty that can happen when the inconsistency that can happen when you're scaling an interview program about how, you know, your interviewers are juggling all these things. They're trying to connect with people. They're trying to be encouraging. They're trying to figure out what is noise, what is signal, what do I let the candidate do? When do I step in? But what, you know, and so in this case, it kind of, right, I felt like I gave, I gave, I, guess, I like mentioned sorting, I mentioned some edge cases. And at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong answer, like different companies and roles might require different things, but they should be probably, I would just say, write things down. <laughs> like, write down on your question guides, what is considered this, you know, the signal part of the question, and if there's any noise, like maybe if some questions require string manipulation, but that's just to, you know, because of handling input. And that's not as important as some of the like algorithmic components or the convert, you know, whatever the competencies are, maybe on a rubric that they're also written down. Tell the interviewer, if the candidate doesn't know this, like give them the answer, tell them to look up docs, give them the split function, like don't spend 10 minutes on the unimportant thing. So tell them what is noise. And the same telling interviewers so they know what noise and signal is, it gets really important with the hints so that they know, you know, if you don't have any documentation for interviewers, just, you know, write some bullet points and have something general about like, inter you know, technical interviews in general. But eventually it can be really helpful on specific questions to say, you know, here's the common mistakes and here's how you could ramp, you know, for each, maybe there's different approaches. Here's how you can ramp them up in different ways. That, it, that just enables interviewers to succeed when probably your interviewers are actually engineers. Like this isn't even their jobs. Like they're coming to the meeting, like you're coming to the interview. And if they have a guide that tells them there's different approaches, then they're just going to be so much better at interacting with candidates. I mean, hopefully they've read that guide previously, but even in that moment, they're not going to like shuffle candidates, you know, to one solution. So they'll, they'll know different ones. They'll know here's the progression of questions and and even here's how that impacts the assessment, maybe. So writing things down can be really, I think, really powerful for consistency. That's, I mean, you'll probably agree with me on this. Handholding is one of the guidance hints, is one of the most difficult things to get consistent. Like even at Carrot, we spend a ton of time doing even practice interviews to see that interview, to see that an interviewer against, you know, this kind of role play that Rohit and I are doing. We'll do that in a, in a more real like interview setting. And, and you could imagine doing that where you know the candidate is trying to trying to have certain, maybe they're, they're competent, but they've never done this interview before. They're making assumptions. Does the interviewer detect that as noise or does that influence the signal? Or, you know, they're, they don't know certain, certain competencies. Is that coming up? Are the rubrics looking the same? So you can, you know, you can kind of see how you, if you really want to invest time, time in this, you can really have like a, a close the loop. But writing things down, even a few bullet points, that's always helpful. Oh, here's one. What's like one example of a difficult interview to get a good signal out of? And like, what, you know, what's a trick for that? So in some cases, candidates have a particular approach that they are fixed on. Uh, so 
they, they just want to uh, force themselves through that approach. Uh, maybe they've seen a similar problem, they've seen a similar solution, and they just want to apply that at all costs. And, and so it's difficult to make someone realize that they have perhaps too much fixation on a particular thing without giving, giving up too much of the information. So I stay with them and remind them what the main problem, what the main task is. But if, if they have not been able to understand that, all I can do is to reiterate the task. And the next step for me would be to actually point out that they have, a, they have an error. So the, the best I can do is ask them to explain how their solution would work with a particular example. But if they even don't get it even then, then it becomes difficult for me to get out of the situation without giving away the whole solution. So some people yeah. are fixated. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. And you could imagine a candidate performance. Uh, we, we record all of our interviews you know, for internal trainings and to, and to share with the, the hiring managers and recruiters that we're you know, doing these interviews for. And you can imagine two interviewers, with, you know, just, without, just out in the world without any conversation between them, look at that same performance, come to two different conclusions. Oh, this was a great conversation. They nearly finished. Like, yay, let's hire them. And someone else is like, whoa, they didn't get it done. We're results-oriented. They didn't write tests. We shouldn't hire them. You know, they wasted time talking. And who knows what the right answer is, but they're, they're inconsistent, right? Those two interviewers saw the same performance, came to different conclusions. So there's a lot of nuance here. Like even in that situation, Rohit, you're giving about, oh, someone's fixated. You know, is the competency brainstorming? Is the competency writing code? And trying to make even more specific questions so that your interviewers can, can really partner with the candidate so that everyone is in the clear, like that clarity point again, and knows exactly what we're trying to do. You could even imagine a question where you give, you give an algorithm and see them write code. You ask a bunch of questions for them to give approaches to, and then you choose one that they understand to implement code rather than sometimes we give these really big questions and we intermix all these competencies and it kind of shows up in the rubrics in very in difficult ways. So there's no right or wrong answers. You kind of have to figure out what works for you. Write it down so that everyone's on the same page. It kind of got away from candidate experience, but I think all of this, you work backwards, you know, so that, the, so that then it's very clear what the interaction needs to be for everyone to succeed. And, you know, you're never going to get your candidates. This is a funny customer service situation because most candidates aren't going to get the thing they want. But if you can help them feel respected and good about the experience, even when they don't move forward, I think that's what a great achievement. And that's what we should be striving for. That was an incredible conversation. Thank you both so much. Really quickly, do you have any final, fi any final thoughts you want to share? Any, any closing statements you want to make on the world of interviewing and effective communication for the community? I'd say trust in the candidate. Trust in this whole process where people can engage and come together. I would say trust. <laughs> yeah, that's been echoed, I think, a few times in the sessions here, but it's a really big one. Thank you. Wonderful. Great words to end on. Thank you both so much. And... We'll see you next time. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. 
And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.